0: This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by the fine folks who create Space Pig Hamadeus. Available from Renegade Arts and Entertainment November twenty second. And then one crazy one? Yeah. I mean that was kind of crazy, but that's Cra- <laughs> crazier. crazier. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pulp Science. Let's let's start talking
2: about um, 90s toys, because that reminds hey, wait, me... Wait, wait, we can't
1: start yet. Yeah, we have to do I we have can't. to do our intro. Don't you know how this works? 90s toys. Okay. okay, fine, go ahead. This is Super Pulp Science. I'm Gregory Kamichak with my guests... Justin Curry. And Donovan Yashik. All right, and today we are going to talk about all kinds of different things um, related to making things either super pulpy or scientific donovan why don't you tell us your relationship with comics starting from your earliest earliest yes the embryonic phases right
0: yeah uh first of all honored to be here this is
1: great i love the podcast thanks for having us Uh,
0: yeah that's right thanks for offering to get me more coffee than i need to uh wow comics uh aren't they great they are great yes Uh, how old were you how old was i i remember my first comic book Tell us, and I need—I'll need to know your guys too. Okay, I, feel, I remember mine I feel too. Feel awfully under the spotlight here. <laughs> it was, and I got to restore this book. So, backstory: I do some work for Marvel, restoring their old books for the Masterwork series. Cool. And I got to—and I got to. Uh, yeah, I'll wave with this hand. I got to recolor this com- this comic, which was the first. So wait, wait, wait—you got read. to work. I got to work on the, on on comic the actual book that I that started I, you I started into started comics. The circle was complete. Wow! Yes. I played the Lion King soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. You didn't just burst is. into
1: fire and then vanish from the universe? No, I know. No? Yeah,
0: that's right. That's right. I reached uh, Nirvana.
1: But it was
0: Spider-Woman number one.
1: Come on, yeah, really? I was, wow. That's your
0: first total. I mean, I don't know. It, it's As I always say, it's not a classic uh, that everyone
1: no it is but that know. says a lot about you it, for, for it, I, those of our listeners who don't know that I know Donovan and I've <laughs> seen him in action the fact that Spider-Man Spider-Woman number one is his first comic to know
0: her is to fear her Yeah, that that hooked me so I was four and my mom you know in the 70s kids roamed freely in back seats in giant boats of cars and yeah, there were no seat belts or anything like that and I have this vivid memory of my mom probably to shut me up on a trip hitting up uh, it was you know, Jim's Jug Store in good old Dauphin, Manitoba, which is probably the first time that store has ever been on mentioned on a podcast. <laughs> uh, she threw it in the back seat and, you know, being four, I didn't read it immediately. But by the time I grabbed it, it was nighttime and we were headed home after visiting my grandma So I was reading it um, only in bursts of streetlights. So I would get like four words in and yeah. then it would get dark. And oh my the
1: light would come up again. And it was, it was like a of, cinematic comic experience, yeah, like it's, an animation, but one panel every minute.
0: It was so bizarre. But yeah, that's right. That's right. But that whole experience just kind of solidified with me. And, it, you know, it kind of heightened that excitement, like, okay, I, I just got to wait four more seconds for the yeah. next word kind of thing. Right. So it was this really awesome sort of moment surrounding how I read that book. And then it's been a, you know, I've got it framed on my wall in the studio. I've got I've got the reconstructed cover that I did. And then you developed. worked on it as well yeah, as a I restoration.
1: How yeah. how was that? I mean, the patina of nostalgia yeah. can be very strong on a book, and I'll tell you about mine in a little bit. Yes. But uh, yeah. going back and actually, like, you know, doing the colors, you have to yeah. I got carefully match, look at every line. So that's right.
0: And in some cases, I had it almost memorized. I mean, I've gone back to that book so many times over my life just for that nostalgic purposes. It doesn't hold up well. No, it <laughs> doesn't hold up. No. Um, I think Marv Wolfman wrote it, but in uh, um, the other favorite book, the people that know me, I'm a big Secret Wars 2 fan, yeah. which nobody likes. Um, Why but, Secret Wars 2? Well, so growing up in, so okay, growing up in Dauphin, I'd read Spider-Woman and then it was canceled and then only Spider-Man until like grade four when Secret Wars 2 came out. And the Spider-Man books had this like to be continued in Secret Wars 2 triangle on the cover, right? So I that was my introduction to the rest of the Marvel universe, to Sinkevich New Mutants. Like it just opened wow, that all up for me. But it, it, it really is terrible. And I remember coming <laughs> to Winnipeg as a grown man and working at Digital Chameleon and we had the late night conversation. What what what's your favorite book? You know, what yeah. what book do you want to read? I'm like, you know what my favorite was? Secret Wars Two. And you literally heard, like, the record of... And that was the first time <laughs> in my life I clued in that it was actually a piece of carpet. But up until then, it was the most amazing you thing I'd ever You didn't know any better, actually. I had no... And, and it was all nostalgia. That's, the, that's why I loved it for the 10, 15 years
1: afterwards. Right.
0: Anyway. This is all sounding very familiar because I grew up in a very small
2: town as well um, where the, the grocery store got comics, like, twice a year. They got, like, three or four comics, And at home, I know um, my my grandma used to work at a drugstore, and so we had all these Silver Age Marvel comics with their covers taken off, and DC, their covers taken off. So I had a bunch of those. But one of the ones that really sticks out in my memory is like a big, getting me into comics comic, was it was Predator versus X. Who was this
1: like? Well, that's a Dark Horse book. The Dark Horse, yeah. yeah.
2: And because it was all my comics like. Through my childhood, I liked them, but they were all kind of the same. They were all like, you know, classic Marvel and DC, and they all kind of like melded together. And then I saw that from Dark Horse for the first time, and it kind of like opened my mind to like comics just other whole things. other world of comics. Yeah, so that really sticks out as like a, a moment
1: like where comics not don't just how ultra
2: have to violent be violent like that a, book was. Oh, my I God. I should not have been
1: able to buy that, but <laughs> I don't.
0: Who did it? I didn't
1: i uh, can't remember who the original creator of x uh, but that was during the time when uh, dark horse had the license, license for aliens and predator and then they oh, put out yeah. a ton of actually pretty top-tier stories yeah. i would have loved to have seen most of their predator work adapted into uh, adapted into film for sure um, so for me my first comics memory is one that uh, people who are who have been around me talking on panels has probably heard before uh, my dad uh, used to go to Tony's barbershop for 40 years. He went to Tony's barbershop in Winnipeg and he would take me with him. So when I was like six, eight, nine kind of thing, I would go with him on Sundays to Tony's barbershop. He would get his beard trimmed and I would sit and Tony, I guess had a buddy who must've had a grocery store or a convenience store or something because he would get all the coverless comics stacked up at Tony's barbershop right for those people who don't know what the heck we're talking about with these coverless comics you used to send the covers back because it was cheaper to ship to prove that you hadn't sold a book and then those coverless books were supposed to be destroyed but usually they were passed around to neighborhood kids or whoever um note to the industry if you want to get kids reading comics maybe go back to that model uh, Great uh so i'm sitting there and i was an avid reader at that time but i hadn't really been introduced to comics and i looked over and here was a stack of books with no covers and they were all it was during this period of marvel comics where i now know where the dire wraiths Mm, and the rom property had crossed over with all the other books and so it was a it was the first comic book i ever read had this uh badass woman of color with a white mohawk and a leather jacket with a switchblade fighting monsters and then she shows up and her buddies all have superpowers and they talk about how she used to have superpowers and then some of them transform into these horrible monsters and it's all a trick and i was like what is this same response as you i should not probably have been reading it (laughs) at that age um but then i wanted to go to the barber every weekend sure and that stack was the same stack and that's when i first got introduced to a whole bunch of girls like my like ant-man had a diary Wraith story that was all in there wherever this stack came from was part of i guess an overage from somewhere that all had these diary stories and then the next big comic moment for me was after that once i knew those things existed i went looking at garage sales my dad and i used to garage sale a lot this was a thing and uh Rom Space Knight oh, with ROM. no covers. Mm-hmm. The one where Galass- Galactus shows mm. up and all the different Space Knights are there and Terax the Tamer shows up. And the little kid in me had no idea what anyone was talking about or what was going on, and I did not care. I wanted the whole story. And, you know, I have two complete sets of Rom was now ROM as Was Rom a
0: little
2: dark? I seem to Super recall- dark. Yeah. yeah, I seem yeah. to recall, like, some standalone comics and it getting pretty adult.
1: It was, but Pretty in the way that deaths. was it, Man. I can never say Bill it. It's Man. Man-, Man- yeah. Flo. yeah, he was an amazing writer at, for that time, well, weaving a toy license into a right. really excellent book. That's right. A
0: toy license that literally was blank; it had yeah. no story attached to it, whatever. Yeah, and it's an amazing book, and it'll never be. Re- I don't think they'll ever get the rights sorted
1: to be printed. No. It. Well, uh, IDW has it now. Yeah,
0: I don't. I don't know that they can do the Marvel stuff. Though. No, There's they can't. Hope. No, yeah that they'll come together, but, um, and I, if I'm wrong on that,
1: the internet will correct me,
0: but
1: in our business, things fall into sort of two categories, right? Work for hire and create our own books. Um, and you do both. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. Wow. Um, that's tricky. It's a pitfall to do both. Uh,
0: one that I never saw coming. Um, I started doing creator own books. I started doing creator-owned books around the time of Secret Wars 2. Uh, the first space-big comics were done when I was 10, and they ended in a Secret Wars 2 crossover. <laughs> Trivia note, okay? Like, it was, I was 10. Cut me some slack.
1: Fantastic. I did, when I was 10, I, did a, uh, I made a comic called The uh, Insufferable Bulk, so you're totally free. <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. Right, you're free. Yeah, you're you're okay. totally free. Everyone does it, right? Yeah.
0: It's nothing to be ashamed of. At, when I first started publishing them as an adult, I had a full-time job, and I remember just thinking, gosh, if I could just get out of this, get self-employed, work on licensed comics or, you know, like someone else's property during the day and I'll have all this time at night to do my own stuff.
1: Actually, I'll just interrupt briefly. Let's assume that someone listening to the podcast doesn't know the difference between the two. So I'll just briefly lay that out. So work for hire is when a company pays you a page rate uh, on a contract to work on something that they will own outright in the end. You may have lots of great ideas that you pour into that uh, cup, but in the end, someone else gets to put it on their shelf. A creator-owned book may come out from another publisher, but ultimately, you own the rights to everything in perpetuity. And, uh, you know, if there's a movie deal or if there's a toy deal, you're in charge of those things. Correct. So that's the difference.
0: Um, Yeah. So I figured if I work on other people's properties, I've got all this time at night to keep my own balls going. Can I change that sentence? <laughs> my <laughs> balls should just stay where they are. <laughs> you, or you can keep that in, that's up I think, up to I you. think we're right. keeping that I, I, in, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my balls are staying where they are is the new title, right? Yes. A- anyway, sorry, long story short, um, once you're done working on other people's stuff during the day, there is no energy left. You know, I mean, it, it's obvious when you say it out loud, but mm-hmm. you know, if you're one of those people that's got that day job, you, it's not an excuse to not get your own stuff done. Right, But okay,
1: so your so. day job, you yep. color comics. I color comics. And you do restorations. And I do
0: restorations for old Marvel stuff.
1: And um, how many hours a day is that?
0: Oh <sighs> Well, there's probably the story I tell and the story my family tells. <laughs> I would say, I mean, I, I'll put in 8 to 12 hours a day.
1: Doing other people's stuff.
0: Doing, um, I'd say it's full 8 to 10 doing other people's stuff. And that's average because there's some days when you don't. Right do any, yeah, or you, you know? travel to a show, and that's you, right, yeah, that's right, so it's it's very time consuming, um, but you get really good at it, right when you work on other people's stuff, and you have it's the deadline thing right that I know this podcast talked about before. Mm-hmm. you have to meet other people's deadlines, right, you get really quick on the fly and right it it's a great workout for your
1: so if you're so mm-hmm. worked out, why can't you put your own stuff together My, as quickly
0: it's one of, i in, I wish I could explain it it's an odd mental block I've had for the last year where it's just come to a complete halt and it's, some of its burnout I mean you have to in this okay maybe but you guys we have on the table because here. because you guys have an, a really impressive amount of output um
1: you know so we always think we don't have enough yeah right that we exactly. could do more.
0: well and I, I we mean need to
2: catch up to Somebody or something. Yeah. yeah.
1: If we could keep up with Sam and Claire, then we would be able yeah, to Yeah,
2: Sam good. and
0: Claire are <laughs> uh, rather impressive. So hold on. So yes. we have a big okay. stack.
1: So you're lamenting that your output, but I have a huge stack here of Space Pig <laughs> Hamadeus, That's which right. is your creator-owned book, which uh, for those people, it, it's a perfect fit for Super Pulp Science because it has superhero elements. It has supernatural elements. It has pulpy elements. It's got science fiction elements. It's got everything that you could possibly want. And correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. it's kid-friendly.
0: It is kid-friendly. That's right.
1: Um, So the first, when I,
0: back in 2009, I took my very young daughter to a show. And I thought, well, we're going to cruise Artist Alley and see if there's something I can get. Just start that tradition, right? That every time I take you to a show, we're going to find something that's, uh, you know, it's that small business mentality. Right. Right. You're going to go find someone who's pouring work and energy into it. And in 2009, you you guys were tabling. Yeah. It's my second year. Yeah, Yeah, I started in 2006. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, a lot of what I found was, I always, and maybe it was just my own eyes and I was having frustrations, but it, at that time it was zombies and boobs. Those were yeah. the two yeah.
1: things. Yeah. it drove me nuts. It,
0: it drove me nuts. I'm not a zombie guy. Like, it's a three trick pony. Yeah. And the third trick was done in 78. Like yeah. y- You got to revisit that stuff, but it's just not for me. But it really caught fire and, and everyone saw this is how I'm going to, you know, these sell. I'm going to make zombie books or zombie this. And boobs always sell. Uh, <laughs> I got approached by this one table. I've never seen them back at a con to do colors for some vampire zombie oh, no. porn book. And I'm just like... And that went, when I got that card, and if that person's listening, I'm sure your book ended up great. I, I don't want to <laughs> knock anybody. But I just said, like, there's a need here. There's so many kids at these shows. And it was... There was stuff tailored for them. Um, but... It was hard to find. It wasn't at that you know the market and demographic that's coming out to some of these shows. There, there's a demand that could be met. So well, I
1: we saw that with uh, well, why don't you talk about that? Cassie Tonk, Rust and Water. Like what happens with the people that come to your booth? Um, just well,
2: I always found that kind of interesting because I thought I was writing Cassie Tonk and drawing for it um, for. I see my demographic as, like, 15 to 30-year-olds. And then when it came out, I kind of realized it was a kid's book. And I'm glad it's a kid's book, but that's not who I thought was going to, like, be really into it. I thought I was doing it for my normal fans, but I was really doing it for, like, my fans' kids kind of thing. So it was... um,
1: And lots what? of our lots of the people who come to shows bring their kids, like you said, "Well, you That's brought true. your own kids, I bring yeah. my kids to shows. Dan brings his kids to shows. Um, one day you'll have kids justin yeah. and then you won't be able to go to shows for. That's why years. I'm hustling
2: so much right now because yeah. yes. I know it's I'm
1: on a timer
0: right <laughs> well, and as we're finding out, we're literally ying to yang because I wrote mine originally for a much younger demographic and then found
1: older, older people
0: like it. Yeah, it was older, so it's but when I say it's suitable for kids like. It's suitable in the same way, like some yep. of the '70s Spider-Man stuff is suitable for kids. Like yeah. there's, there's no drugs in my book. But I'm thinking in particular some of the like uh, Harry Osborne stuff. Yeah, right. You know, like it's something that all ages can read. Like yeah. w- mm. I, we read those as kids, and we all turned out.
1: Well, now we all make. Okay, now I'm. So yeah, yeah know, that's right. That so who knows? Okay, so back. this brings up an interesting
2: anyway. point too. Like, do you guys think um, when you're making a book? Should you try to? Should you be trying to target a demographic, or should you just be concentrating on the story? Like, just tell the story, and it's gonna appeal to who it appeals to. I think too many people try to like in their mission statement mm-hmm. before the book has even started. This is gonna be for five to nine year olds, mostly girls. Eight, you know, like rather than just telling the story, they they try to adhere to those rules too much. So
0: it's interesting because I've been doing a lot of pitches lately yeah. for a bunch of different irons i have in the fire and each publisher wants that age demographic right Mm -hmm. i was
1: just gonna say that um
0: and i had the opportunity at c4 to listen to a few pitches i won't specify where i was i don't know if i have clearance to say that but uh and boy we could do a podcast on how not to pitch based on that that weekend alone i mean if i'm sorry to anyone who stopped by that's recognizing my voice but it (laughs) was wow I, i learned more about pitching listening anyways but so so, that's your question
1: let's come back around so you said you know should you have your audience in mind I've done 18 or so books now either as a writer or as an illustrator and every time that I thought I knew who the audience was and set it out with a specific audience in mind it found a different audience the one thing that I'm realizing about books once they're free of your intentions they find their own audience mm-hmm. and they live or die based on the, that audience. Um, and you can try to, you can definitely try to engineer that. And, you know, publishers do with advertising and things like that. But the truth is, you want to show it to everyone because you don't really know who it's for, yeah. I think. Yeah, I, I've thrown that baby out
0: with the bathwater. Um, now I just focus on whatever themes I've got in my head. And the story, and go from there. But I do try to make it as wide as possible. Yeah, well, like, we know it's like it, cutting the swears out of the podcast. I was just right? going to
1: say, like, we know that if we're making a book, if I'm making a book, I can call it an all ages book if it's absent nudity, sexual content, and like super visceral violence. A little bit of um, plot oriented, action oriented, quote unquote violence is okay. People can deal with that. I love that off the off. Panel off
2: scene violence? What yeah, do you call it? it? Like Between se- panel violence. Yes, you so set it all up and then you pan away and you just hear the ka-chunk. Yeah. And you don't show it like that. I think that's more effective storytelling, yeah, you, anyways.
1: Yeah. And, and we can, you can show that to yeah. kids a lot easier and right. then show it to parents, and parents will look at it and say, yes, my kid can. Well, and you.
0: that's how we got through stuff through the comics code years, yeah, right? right? Like as, as kids. But um, yeah, so I'm pitching uh, and developing right now, and it's going to take a while. <laughs> So this is advanced notice. Um, a graphic novel about Ukrainian internment in World War I, which I mean, not a lot of people know about. Like, um, now, this is
1: part of your family history?
0: Not my own. I, mean, I guess called. I'm Ukrainian personally. Right. I have no family members that would have been personally affected. But the thing that's frustrating... So long story short, um, Ukrainians, when they immigrated to Canada or fled parts of Europe that were... Under the threat of war, faced a lot of xenophobia in Canada when they came over at the turn of the century.
1: Well, and as a side note, my grandmother, who is Belarusian, pretended to be Polish to pretend yeah. to be uh, Ukrainian to then come in and face all that stuff. Really? and had to. She had two sets of false papers that got her into the country, so something? she had to maintain this Ukrainian origin despite the... Uh, racism that was, and you know, xenophobia was a love because it was way worse to be Russian than it was to be right. Ukrainian.
0: Yeah, so they were called Austro-Hungarians at yeah. the time. I won't. You're a teacher. Yeah. I was almost a teacher. <laughs> we'll, leave, we'll leave it at that. But uh, anyway, so not a lot of people know we actually jailed these people up, and wow. and people were killed and trying to escape, stole their farms. There's like like it's a pretty dark chunk. And what frustrates me is being Ukrainian myself. Um, a lot of that cultural memory gets forgotten over Mm -hmm. the years. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody's talking about it. And now a lot of Ukrainian people that I know are being xenophobic towards people coming in from Syria and all that other stuff. And they're ignorant of their own history. And literally, like, if you go back, I I can, when you're interested to see it, I can show you, like, historical photographs where the banners people are carrying against this subset of Ukrainians and, and whatnot. They're the exact same messages about them being criminals, lazy, not going to work. And it's like, if you just knew some of your own history, right. like really not that long ago either. It's and talking about forged passports and yeah. stuff like right now, there are people that are upset that that's happening. Yeah. But your own ancestors probably had to do it to get Yeah, in. If
1: not for those forged papers, I wouldn't be sitting here now. And that's right. right. And why did they forge them? Because the, you know, her, my grandmother's brother was in the field one day and some Cossacks rode up and asked for directions and then cut him down with swords and then rode off and the family was like, okay, we gotta get some people out of this country <laughs> right. real fast. Right.
0: Possibly a little bit more agitated in tone, but that right. was the same Yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> that was a very calm reaction. Yeah. Um, anyway, so bringing that full circle is, I'm pitching that for, uh, I guess, where it fits in the curriculum, sort of junior high, right. early high school stuff. But I'm aiming, yeah. That demographic is. I'm listing that in, in my pitches, yeah. but I'm also writing it. I'm kind of lying. So if any publisher, yeah. and I'm I'm going pushing that envelope farther, anticipating yeah. that it's going to get cut back. Well, it's right? interesting like, that you. I so wonder. for that project, sorry, I have to think yeah. about because well, it's we're literally directed towards sold, schools, right? I yeah. just
1: sold a book to a publisher okay. that has, um, you know, refugee uh, pff, narrative. At its core. And the first thing that other people who have told about this have asked me is like, well, where do you get off talking about the refugees? And I just, you know, explain like my history is where I'm talking about. And then some present day stuff is what I'm talking about. And those things mixed together, right? Like if you're in Canada and you're not an Aboriginal or First Nations person, if you're not Indigenous Mm -hmm. here, then you came from somewhere else probably as a refugee. Attention, citizens. Going back to, uh, can you tell us like, maybe two stories
2: from from the pitches you saw at C4, an example of a really good one, an example of something maybe you shouldn't do.
1: Okay, I'm pitching. Yeah, Yeah. we can both. We'll all do that. Let's all share that. Because we're talking about creator-owned comics, and Mm -hmm. an important step in creator-owned comics is getting in front of a publisher for that second meeting. And that means you have to be good at the first encounter.
0: This was the worst pitch I'd ever seen. Oh, should I do this? Am I going to get any anyway. Oh, no, no. Here we go. Okay. I can't name anybody. So let's, and let's put it this way. Let's, let's set some ground
1: rules, okay. all right? Okay. We're only going to be constructive, right? We're not going to be reductive. Right. And we're only going to set it up as an example for how that person, if they're listening, yes. could improve could the improve. second
0: time. That's exactly what I was going to say. This is just mantis. So th- this person came up. And I was at a publisher's booth that I was volunteering at for C4. Again, I'm not comfortable. I haven't cleared with them you're that good. I yeah, should mention. As, so so as as people necessary. can add two and three and put it together. And he walks up and says, um, and I'm nothing at this company. I'm volunteering. I do a bit of work for them. But well, you're behind the table. I, I'm so behind you the authority. table. And yeah. I, you know, I have the hairline to look like I'm in charge. I don't know. So... Um, <clears throat> The guy says, yeah, do you guys take pitches? And he's pretty excited and enthusiastic, and I'm, I know exactly who to funnel them to. Um, I didn't say that, but I'm like, yes, we do. You know, like By all means, bring your stuff, and, and, and they're excited to hear it. And he says, yeah, but you probably wouldn't like the books that I'm publishing. And I just felt like saying, OK, off, <laughs> uh, there's other people down the table I'd like to talk to, right? But I said, I actually said to him, like, no, you'd be surprised. Like, they've got, a, they've got novels. They've got, they're looking for genre-specific stuff. Like, you ne- and throw that spaghetti at the wall and see if it sticks. And he starts telling me about it. And then his girlfriend just interrupts us and says, oh, look, it's um, Super Mario. I don't know who the video game character was.
1: Right, a cosplay. Guy it was, was just some yeah.
0: cosplay walk by. He's like, "Oh, look, that's a great costume," and they talked about the costume mid mid pitch, and then turned around about twenty seconds later and tried to continue, and, and it was like, "Really? Okay. You're so going to interrupt is- your your?" And I'm assuming your boyfriend girlfriend might have been brother sister. Right. I, I don't know, but take it a little it's, serious. It's like Joanne. Like, <laughs> by all means, come with me, but. Yeah. No. you know, maybe go by yourself and don't open with, you're not going to like what I have to say. Like, I was stunned. I I am like, I'm going to win a Grammy for pitches because. Yeah, you've been that person on the other side
1: of the table. And you know that, you know. Just by half. If you've never done it. Right. And you finally muster up the nerve to do it. You're like, this is my moment. Mm -hmm. And you are not prepared. Mm -hmm. Then it's probably not going to go very well. Unless you happen to be a marvelously charming, charismatic person, right? Unless you're John Hamm, you probably shouldn't just pitch off the top. <laughs> right. Right? And right. who is? Um, so what could that so person handsome. have done? Start at the beginning. So
0: uh, number one, I, I'm a nervous guy in general. Um, uh, it doesn't show sometimes, but I hate cold pitches. It's, they're just not fun. And I don't know of a lot of success rate people have with just cold pitching, so my advice is always, well, just forge a relationship, hang out with these people at the table, talk to them about what they publish, get a really good sense about, because he had no idea that this company had branched out into other things. Right. He knew their flagship character and just assumed that was it, right? right? Um, but it's, it, nobody likes getting a cold pitch. I can't imagine, I mean, just from talking to people, cold pitches are often uncomfortable, so it's, work up a relationship and some sort of establish a base before you throw that. Okay, let's pitch. do but something haven't, fun. Yeah, haven't okay. Comic
2: Cons kind of like when I started going, I kind of thought, I don't know where I got this idea, but that was where you went to go and mm-hmm. there's it a is publisher. Where you go, yeah. Yeah, Here's my portfolio. Well, there's only
1: a table between you and them. So let's play, let's okay. do this. We're gonna have now, dear <laughs> listeners, they don't know that I was about to do this to them. Oh god. Uh, chasing artwork. All right. You have opened to submissions. Donovan, I, I would know, like yeah. you to pitch Space Pig Hamadeus <laughs> to Chasing Artwork. Let's see if you can do it better than that other fellow.
0: Well, see, number one, I would not... J- nope, I would nope. have
1: already had this, but we already have this relationship, so go. right? That's what you just said. If you had one, if you had a, a relationship that you okay. pre-existed, and no- then you should be able to pitch now. I'm waiting now. We're okay, so watch well,
0: hold on. I'm going to step to this. Step <laughs> to this is
1: my radar is
0: on, and I'm... I'm going to have already found out whether or not he's taking pitches, either by hanging out and listening. Okay, so
1: you want context.
0: Or just, or doing my research and I'd be like, so would you have this on your website? I would have checked there first and been like, I saw on your website that you're accepting pitches. How has that been going? Are you getting a lot of, of stuff? To which you would reply?
2: Uh, we've been getting various pitches. Some a little more interesting than others. Nothing that's gonna nothing that's moving forward right away. We're still just kind of on the lookout. We're not in any big rush. We're just looking to forge long term relationships.
1: All right. Okay. So now he's so, established that now, they do want pitches. What yes. do you do? And number you two, I'm up?
0: gonna back this up with another preface. <laughs> is that if you're making your own book, you should be losing money at shows. Having a presence there, couldn't you the be table. making
1: money at shows having a presence? There you
0: too? you could, but
1: I prefer that model. I, I <laughs> do for that model. Your family I, does too. I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you <laughs> my story about my first show <laughs> and how I model. paid
0: people to take copies of my book. But anyway, oh dear, um, because they should. Y- your first introduction should have been, "Oh hi, I'm I'm Donovan. Love your stuff. I'm over at, in this spot." Okay, mm-hmm. this person did none of that. I didn't have. Um, I don't think had a, had a booth. I mean, they were there to check out Super Mario. It was someone from Final Fantasy VII. I haven't played it in ten years, so I don't know. I, Sephiroth. I don't know who it was. It was an awesome costume. So uh, anyway, I I would I would then move that intro to like, oh, my name's Donovan. Like before I even got to that, mm-hmm. I'm tabling over here. Like at least establish, okay, this guy knows that you're in the have skin in the game and are possibly
2: selling. And if this conversation goes really well, that's what I love about Comic-Cons is now I can come and check out your stuff. Like yes. everything that is you yeah. is up on display ready yep. for me to take a look. Okay, and that so might as even a summation, be- hold on, I'll do a yeah. summation okay. in
1: case we have to okay. edit around it or our listeners are just skipping to the good parts. Right? <laughs> so in summation, you say have a booth, have a product, even if it costs you lots of money out of your own pocket, have something that proves what you can do. Approach that publisher with knowledge that... It fits already try to build up a rapport that is a little bit more than a cold pitch and then invite them to see what you do on their own terms yeah. or have have something there you right. know like or have a- at what point do you thrust sure. yes. yeah. your comment exactly. into that person's hands and exactly should you so
0: this is a choose your own adventure okay because okay? you got to feel out it's like do you feel like this person wants your book right now or would respond well to that. You oh, I have should good, have that, okay? I have a good story about this. Turn to page 58. Clarkson. Oh, yeah? Okay. Who yeah. I did give books to. I right. felt comfortable and yeah. he was great about it. He sat with me and went page by page and critiqued the coloring. Yeah. It was
1: awesome. So in 2007... Oh, wait, can, hang on.
0: Before we do that, yeah. can can I... To go. Can we finish the pitch thing? Yeah. This, guy's, this guy's got t- things to do, right? Sorry. <laughs> I'm we we the, don't I'm want the, him taking up too much time I'm editing. the
1: spouse that's interrupting, not realizing what's on the line here.
0: <laughs> that's right. So turn to page 22 would be not incredibly receptive, but this is your first meeting. It's like, I'm at A37. Um, next time you're coming around, come by. We'll continue talking. Mm-hmm. If he's, Even if not, so my next thing is, Okay, I'm aware of what you publish. Some of it's all-ages stuff. I do an all-ages book. Like, have you, got, have you gotten a lot of submissions for those? You know, just talk about yeah. that experience maybe I know most
2: people seem to be doing zombies
0: and vampires, and it's all adults. Yeah, there so, you go. Yeah. There you go. I've got a great book. Um, it's science fiction-based. It's got its roots. You know, talk about what the roots are. Its, it's roots are Flash Gordon. Captain Future, who nobody knows unless they know it's... uh, We're on Super Pulp Science. We know who Captain Future is. The only reason people know it is it has a poster on Big Bang Theory in their their living room. (laughs) Otherwise, nobody's read it. Uh, And the other um, comparable that I liked when I was maybe in my teenage years was Valerian, which is now a feature film. So it's sort of got its roots in these. I write, I letter, I color. So I'm pumping up the things I do about the book because I do... So you're the Everything whole package. draw. I don't, yeah. I okay. mean, I, Well,
1: and this is, okay, yeah. so this is an advantage to you in some regards. Because if they like the writing and right. they like the packaging, yeah. but they don't like the artist. Right. Right. As a publisher, they sometimes like to pick that. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Or, and, and so other things that have happened is it's just been like, well, the coloring's really nice. Can you do a pinup? Can you do this? Can you do this? So, so when I pitch, way. I'm not always, I'm, I'm often go to cons just to pitching and, and get work that's kind of my number one goal over pushing product in some ways Um, get some future projects just to get and now of course I'm find myself doing so much of that I'm not doing so it has it but anyhow so that's how I would start that pitch is just progress there was another group that came by that same table that just jumped right in and they were very good and very enthusiastic but here's the book it's in your face uh I gotta go pitch to more people. So buy, you know, like right. it, which also didn't make you feel work. special. Didn't make you yeah. at all. Uh-huh. At all. <laughs> okay, so here's the so story. It's, it's, I share it's all story. about massaging that relationship. Rather, a don't jump in for a concrete advice. Like you have to find us, and then it's waiting for that spare moment to jump in, which is the hardest part, right? So the bad part of this shot.
1: advice that you're giving is that if you're not a people person. It's going tricky. to be way harder. Yeah. So let
0: your work do the talking your if you're not a people person. And that's then. why yeah. it's like, come by my booth. Yeah. Uh, hopefully I'm busy if you're not a people person and you can at least flip through the stuff.
1: Yeah. Or a preface it by saying that uh, some great pitches that have been given to me uh, were uh, in two instances, um, one, a woman came up and said, you know, uh, she stood around kind of nervously for a while. She clearly had a pitch with her. She had a binder with some stuff. And she started by saying, I'm, her opening line was, I'm way better on paper than I am in person. I'm way more confident online than I am in person. So I'd like to leave this with you and come back in a bit. I like that. Ooh, that's think? good. I, I think, and I, really what good. I liked about it was she knew herself. Yeah. And she also knew her strengths. Yeah. And the book was actually quite How, good.
2: Yeah. So it was a book? It was a. Yeah, it was
1: a book. It was a pitch for. Um, uh, it was like a science fiction adventure story and she had written and illustrated it and it was it was really quite good and it was true. Like the work was very confident. I want to jump
2: in here for a second just to kind of, um, every once in a while, I don't get pitched too often because I'm, I'm not really a publisher, I've got my own titles and I do a lot of other stuff, but when somebody shows up with 200 plus pages kind of spilling out of a binder and goes, let me tell you about my like... Eight book saga that's going to be like bigger than Lord of the Rings and they flop it down like here's where it starts. And then like, you know, they have a two hour like they they want to explain everything and they have everything
1: there. Like yeah. they want you to appreciate the amount of time they put into it without valuing it your needs time to at be
2: four to ten.
1: If you're just pitching me an idea
2: like yeah. you can put that in. How many how many pages was Good Boys when you when you pitched when it? I
1: pitched it? I pitched Good Boys with uh, 4 pages of That's illustration all it takes. and a one sheet. That's
2: I enough for plot. me to get a grasp of what you're doing, what it could be and and where it's, you know, like that gives yep. me everything. That's all you need. Right. I don't need to see because I know you did have 200
1: pages of like yeah, and everything, d- you know, and it's funny cuz I keep I had all of those extra pages with me should you know because I was sitting for dear listeners I went to a publisher and I brought a bunch of different pitches and each of those pitches were boiled down into a single page that had a story wheel on it um, a single page that had one paragraph all on this giant piece of paper the only thing was there was one paragraph that boiled down the story it's like
2: bite size yeah bite size and then (laughs)
1: if they cared beyond that there was pages of illustration to go with it but only three or four I had 20 30 pages for each of those projects I could have showed them but not unless they were interested. So once an interest was shown, then I said, if you're interested to see more, I have more with me. But I didn't open with that. And it went very well. Science. 2007. Oh, yeah. I want to say seven or i s- I'm not exactly sure. Um, we're in the Wayback Machine now. But I went to San Diego Comic-Con. I said, I'm going to make comics for a living. Somehow. And some And we way. all laughed. And we all laughed. <laughs> and so what do you do? You go to the place where people, in my opinion, you go to the place where people are doing it. Mm. And you talk to those people and you figure out how they did it. Or you steal their ideas and do it better. All of those things are true, but you go, right? Um, If you wanna hear the preacher, you go to the temple, right? So San Diego Comic-Con was the biggest show at the time. So we went there and I was astounded at how easy it was to meet people who had been my absolute comic book idols my entire reading life and there they just were on the other side of the table and we chatted like regular people and everything was fine and normal i got some really encouraging and wonderful advice from uh, david Mack, um, and i had these books with me i'd printed these two little short ashcan comics i was working with another illustrator at the time i had written these two books and he had produced helped me produce these two little things they were about eight pages each um I had a buddy who worked at a print shop so we went after hours and produced them halfway professionally. Um, And then I had these with me at shows so that if I could open a conversation with when they would say, well, what do you do? I said, well, this is the kind of stuff I'm doing now, but it'd be short enough that if they weren't interested at all, it's a few breaths where they flip through it, pass it back and say, okay, thanks. So I'm hanging around the Image Comics table because uh, I took great pleasure in, in meeting Robert Kirkman and all of these other guys who were sort of like on the bubble, right? And I just thought it was so cool to see that frenetic energy. And But there's Eric Larson who's been doing it forever. And suddenly he has no line. Like there's just a moment where he must have left and come back and there's no line. And so I'm like, oh, this is my moment. Now I'm going to preface this by a parallel story. The guy who was doing the illustrations for me at the time, Aaron Rintoul, he was also uh, a publisher, a music publisher. He had this crazy techno side publishing thing called Sublight Records. And in his uh, place of business, he had a box that he called Destination Oblivion. And when singles would get sent to him, he'd give it a listen, and if it was garbage, into Destination Oblivion it would go. So I'm there now with Eric Larson, thinking very much about this Destination Oblivion. And this is not where I want my book to go. And so I'm watching how he's interacting with people doing pitches. And a guy shows up, and he has his penciler there and his colorist with him and his letter there, like the whole team is there. And they pass a book to Eric and they say, hey, Eric, can you look at a book? And he takes in this huge intake of breath He looks all four of them in the eye, and like to his credit, he makes personal contact with each of them, and he says, only if you're willing to hear what I have to say. Wow. Right? So it was like- I'm scared now. My gloves are off, right? So yeah, show it to me, but I'm going to tell you the honest truth as far as I am as a professional comic book guy, and they're like, yeah, they're super excited, and they give it to him, and they're so- they're so proud of their work, and I you know, I felt for them because I wanted it to be as good as their enthusiasm. And it was a pretty good book. I was a little fly on the wall, and I was watching him, and he flips through this enormous binder. So here we have the first problem. There's about 150 pages of this book yeah. that they've produced. Wow. And he's flipping through it. And the first thing he says is, he's two pages in, he says, you'll need a new colorist.
0: Oh,
1: oh. Or, and then he sort of like thumbs The thing he says, or maybe you improve by the end and you'll recolor these early pages. Right. So right there, he says, uh, whoever's lettering this book isn't the letterer. And he said, those two things will make or break a book, which we all know. Isn't a
2: letterer? Like whoever lettered this book doesn't know what they're doing. Doesn't know what they're doing. Right.
1: It's sort of like his sort of first thing was like, these two parts are too amateurish. He says, your uh, penciler is being butchered by these two problems. Right. The word balloons and the colors are ruining your book. He says, so I don't even want to read it. You might be a good writer. Which one of you is the writer, right? And the guy puts up his hand. He's like, seems like you've got a lot to say, but I don't want to stay to read it. And so there's like some silence. And they're like, well, and then he takes a deep breath, says, well, I'd like to leave it with you so that you can consider. He says, no, please don't leave it with me. Yeah. Well, we'd like to. No, no. Well, we we made ten copies, and you know, you're one of the people we want to give it to because you're so. And for a third time, he reiterates, "No, please don't." Right. (laughs) Oh man. And they leave it anyway. They just say thank you. They shake hands. He takes it, and he looks around, and sure enough, beside him, I see Destination Oblivion. (laughs) He has a box beside him that he tosses this thing into and he sighs very deeply and he makes eye contact with me because i've been riding this wave with him he looks up at me and uh actually have the sketch he did for me right after on the wall over there uh but and he says like you know it's hard because they asked me and i was like well i guess i shouldn't (laughs) right and uh he says as long as you're not planning to leave it with me yeah then i'll look at it And when I took out my little eight-pager, which like folded down, it's like four pages folded in half, right? The look of like pure relief on his face, (laughs) (laughs) right? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll look through that, right? And he flipped through it, and he read both of those little books I brought because it was short, and it was yeah. to the point. And he really liked the art. And so and he gave somebody like that
2: can size you up yeah, from that example. Up. He doesn't need 150
1: pages yeah. to know. Yeah. yeah. He said, and then he asked me something else that I always thought was kind of telling. Or maybe it was just in the moment. He said, do you have a card? I said, I do. And I'm like really excited now because Eric Lawson was my He said, good. But he doesn't ask for it. It's just <laughs> good, right? He's like, he's assessing like, am I ready for yes, this pitching yeah, step, yeah. right? And then he says something quite wonderful. He says, I'd like you to send both of these as a regular submission to Image Comics, right? And I say, right, because if I leave them, they end up in Destination Oblivion. He laughs at my reference, but he doesn't know it, so I explain that story to him. And we have this great conversation about how people all want to leave their Mm -hmm. giant volume with him, and he has to put all that stuff in his suitcase? No, he's He's not going to He has to travel home He's not going to put 80 pounds of people's pitches in his suitcase and fly home. When someone signals to you that it's done? Yeah.
0: So um, who's... Uh, my stepdad has a great story about uh, Robert Wagner. You probably oh, yeah. oh yeah. yeah. So somehow he ended up... Sorry, that was really rude. I'm like, you're too young, Justin. <laughs> you have all your hair, and that's what everyone at this table. They damn all of you to hell. Um, he ended up in L.A. at horse races, and somehow there's a line... Uh, where they demarcate, like, the stars who are gambling from the everyday person. He ended up on the other side of the line from Robert Wagner and started a conversation with Robert Wagner. And Robert Wagner humored him for about 30 to 40 seconds. And he's like, this is amazing. Like, I'm talking to Robert Wagner. And he starts a sentence, and Robert Wagner just says, we're done here. Like, and kind of gestures at this line. Like, that was all you're getting... I don't care what you have to say anymore. We're done here. Right. And he went, okay, got it. And when someone on the other side of that table, they're giving you hints, I do not want your book. Yeah. Like, please take this. Yeah. There's no, scenario. they're telling you there's no scenario where if you leave that, they're gonna stumble across it and think yeah. we should call these guys back. Like, you're, you're essentially shooting both of your feet at that point. And I've had publishers, um, Chapter House was one of them that said, And I think you got the same invite. It was just, you need to send this to us. Yes, send us stuff. That's your goal. They don't even need to take it. If they say send it to us, it may be them brushing you off politely. Yeah. Or it may be them interested in it. But either way, that's your cue to know,
1: okay. Well, here's the thing. Even if they're trying to brush you off, when you send it, it shows that you're serious. Right. Right? When you send it through proper submission channels it shows that you're willing to do that step and actually
2: that's kind of one of the tricks i pull when um when somebody wants to commission me my first thing is i i make them do a bit of work Some, like send me an email send me details send me like your pitch send me reference well blah, 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 like get all this in place and then we'll talk and nine out of ten people never do that do you because have they're not serious intent. yeah they're not yeah. serious they're not serious about it and i think probably with that too, when they say like, submit this for a proper channels, they're just trying to feel out if you're actually serious. Maybe they're not ready to take it right then and there, but I think probably they just know that a lot of people are just shotgunning. They're trying to get yeah. every publisher to take a look at their stuff, so if they make you do a little bit of work. You're probably not going to do it. You're probably not serious.
1: Yeah, the best pitches are, for your own work for sure, are thoughtful pitches right? Like the book that, like this Good Boys, you know, it's placed now with Portage and Main Press. And um, they were the right fit for this book. It could have been an image book, I suppose, but I intended it to be a classroom conversation starter. And they're perfect for that. Right? And they are the perfect publisher for that. And so when I approached them, I brought them three books. I brought them a yes, no, and a maybe. <laughs> and at the outset, at the outset, I told Justin, I was like, haha, I'm going to trick my way into this publisher by like having the shell game of like, here's some stuff I can <laughs> do. Here's some, you know, like work them into it. And then I lost my nerve when I got in there because there's such wonderful people working right. at that press. There's no way to obfuscate to yeah. these kind and generous people. Yeah. So I said, I came in here to trick you but instead, I've got three books. One of them is for you. Two of them aren't. I'll just show them all three to you <laughs> if you've got a second. Right? And I kept it brief until they asked more questions, right. and then I expanded it. Did yeah. they do what you thought they were going to do? Did they go right for the well, yes and ignore the, the maybe and the no? What was interesting about it to me is that the one that was the no, I had the most pages finished for. And the reason I wanted to show it to them is Drift Hazard and the Hellcats of Venus. Not a good Portage and Main fit. No. But I had a lot of great illustration work that I knew would show that I could do good illustration for them. So I wanted to show them that just as far as, like, here's what I'm capable of. And then I had Fairytale Ending, right, which is Kurosawa's Seven Samurai meets the Brothers Grimm. And uh, it has just enough cultural cachet that it could be a maybe, but not quite (laughs) for them. Um, but it had a style that was closer to good boys. It had anthropomorphic animals in it It had all this other stuff so it would bring me a shade closer and then good boys of course, it, you know I showed them uh, how that was all rolling out um, and they Were really interested in the yes and maybe and we tried to figure out a way to make both work, but yeah. um, the trick to that pitch for me was, as you said, I had a pre-existing relationship. I had delivered a book sure. on time to them as work for hire. Uh, Will I See? I did with Dave Alexander Robertson and singer-songwriter Isque. They had seen that I could do work, that I could do work on time, mm-hmm. and that I could take direction, and that I yeah. could take editorial dictates, and everyone would still get along. So yeah. I knew that I could bring a precious project to them.
0: Yeah. And that, to me, was has been the roadmap is put out my own books, get work that's unrelated, and then branch out. To me, that's the logical, that's the path of best resistance, least resistance, you know what I mean? Like the right. best success chance right. rather than just being like throwing books like a paper boy down Artist Alley. Yeah, You know, like it just, cold pitches drive me nuts.
1: Well, and what's, um, okay, so I'm going to ask you, Justin, a question. Remember when we launched Cassie and Tonk? Yeah. What was it? Do you remember the name of that uh, we were in Toronto
2: we went to the Toronto Book Fair which uh, was a brand new convention and they did what a lot of brand new conventions do where they promised us a hundred thousand people are going to attend I just remember this because twice that year in Toronto different convention people came up we're having this convention we're expecting 80 to 100,000 people like sign up now this is like your only chance and then they would phone you to try to get you to like buy a table. Did you
0: see the gun, or was it just pointing? Dude, the yeah. So, in the pocket? Like, but wow. this one,
2: what kind of worked out great about this one? It was it was a book fair, and it was right around when we thought we were going to be done, Cassie and Tonk. So, I sent set the print deadline and set that event up because that was where we were going to launch her book. The book had to be done, printed, and in our hands by then. So it was kind of
1: our that was the our finish line. So we show up at this convention with our book finished. Not
2: 100,000 people, by the way. I think like 14,000, they were
1: like like guessing. But what was interesting to see, just because it follows closely, like we accidentally succeeded in the Donovan model because we showed up at the table with a pretty good booth display. We had a, a product that we both believed in. And we brought stuff for kids to do at the booth. So we had this sort of artificial line that was created. So there seemed to be some buzz. And then other publishers came to us, looked through the book and then asked us to submit like two or three other ones. You know, one I don't mind naming because it would felt like a big feather in our hat at the time. Someone from Scholastic came over and said, why didn't you send this to us? Right. Um, And that was just a question of us being present. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But how did it feel to you? To then, because we also took the book around, shopped yeah. it a little bit. What was that like for you? Because that would have been your first experience doing that.
2: I think um, at when I see people at conventions and they talk about, here's my comic book project, here's my book project, here's the thing I want to do. I was always a little annoyed that nobody ever followed through. Everybody had grand ideas and it's going to be epic one day. But four years later, they're still talking about how it's going to be great. So I just wanted to prove to myself that I could, I could walk the walk. I could actually finish the book I'd been talking about. So I wasn't even thinking about like publishers or where it was going. Just personally, I wanted to finish a book to prove that I could do
1: it. That's interesting. Now that you say that, in retrospect, when we would take it around and introduce ourselves or whatever. You you didn't ever get flustered no matter who we were talking about. You were just like, look, I finished this book. <laughs> we made this thing, right? And isn't that a great feeling?
0: Super Have I ever told you guys the birthing pains that the captive planet, Space Big Hamideus and the captive planet went through? No, no. tell us about it's Space Big Hamideus ins- and so it's, the captive it's, planet. I don't draw. I do draw, but I draw really slow. And it's not to my exacting You're also a painter. a pretty specification. good painter. I like to paint... I, I'm, I, I, I've I, had a moment with painting. I do a lot of crummy paintings. <laughs> um, I love painting, but uh, I don't get to do enough of it because I'm coloring all the time. So uh, when I first decided I was going to self-publish books, this is 2009, I recycled the story that I wrote at 10, brought it up, right? I'm ready to go, and I'm, I announce it to everyone. Similar to the advice that was given previously on this podcast make a deadline and work towards it right yeah okay the only problem is is I can't draw so um I had to work with other people and the artist I signed up with I won't name um bailed they're not as invested right so
1: they did these first few pages here?
0: Uh, no, that no. artist in particular did no pa- did nothing that's in the, final, in the final book. And is a great person. I wish them all the best, but, I mean, whatever. It wasn't a good right? fit. So I had a table booked at a local con, and this artist bailed. I had nothing so then i had to scramble and draw four pages so my first show is a four-page pamphlet that was drawn in like two days which is not it's just i'm not happy with it but whatever right i literally had to get these printed at a local printer and paid people to take my book like it cost like five dollars a book to print and for a four-page pamphlet, I didn't feel good charging more than like $3, right? right. It was just, th- this was added for a second printing. Right. Stuff, right. So anyways, so fine. Con came, I, I, I wrote a prequel to the story I was planning on doing. Found another artist, kept going. Of course, they're super slow, so I had to write another prequel for the next show. I literally have written them one, backwards. I've worked back. And this is to all because of the timeline because of the Because the one I wanted to do, artists kept being slow and bailing on. So, so let me fine. ask
1: you a question. You're a uh, writer of an independent comic book, and you yep. need artists. Correct. Where do you go to find them?
0: Now I go to shows. Right. At the time, I hadn't done a show yet. So
1: at the time, so you so used the internet?
0: Yeah, that was my. F- that was one of several mistakes.
1: Okay, now, so hold on. Why do you say it's a mistake to reach out online for artists? I would always get a...
0: I think it's best to pick someone that's worked with someone you know and trust. Right. Get a good referral from somebody you've met in person.
1: So it's like being in the Mafia, like someone's got a vouch for you.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: uh,
0: I I wouldn't do that ever again. Um, So it ended up, so if you actually look at Captive Planet, this was the third artist to do it and he bailed after half the book. So it switches art styles halfway through.
1: Right. Right. But you also switch the colouring style a little bit, so little that bit. helps yeah, to uh, yeah.
0: well I tried to unify it as best right. I could. But anyhow, so and that was another guy that nobody I knew had worked with. Right. But for three years we worked really well together right. and then he just disappeared. Right. I don't I've not and I'm not angry. I just don't know where he went. You I just don't know. Where I, he I don't went even out. know if he's still alive, to be honest. But still, it's one of those things where if you can't do the whole book... Like, I recognize my weakness. Right. I, I'm not going to sell a lot of books if I draw it. And I'm not going to get it picked up if I draw it. Uh,
1: just to so, be to play that complete honesty card with myself. So I've said before that if you take more than a year to finish anything, right. you probably shouldn't be in this as a job. Right. Right? It's sort right. Of, and that's a harsh thing to say. It is. But it's mostly because um, you have to feed the beast which is the people who buy the books. And if you don't have regular things to give them, they lose interest. That's right. Um, So if you can't finish things in a timely fashion, you kept having to switch. So you understood the need to have something new. Right, because I kept writing books
0: that showed up before.
1: What do you do now? You have a different model. You have stuff coming up much more regularly now and an announcement, I think, as well. Oh,
0: yeah, for sure. So um, Renegade Arts and Entertainment, who you've worked with, I think, Justin, yeah. didn't you do Yeah, something? I did Underworld with them. I worked with uh, LeBron Kozurski. I've
2: talked to them on a number talk, of occasions, yeah, okay. but I've never done anything with okay. them, no.
0: Uh, Nico nice is That's who right. I'm thinking of. Yeah, Nico uh, Rudolph did right. uh, Big Bears in, in Bay. in Captive Planet, by the right. way, did a short story. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so Renegade Arts and Entertainment is doing an uh, imprint called Voices where they take um, people like us who have small, you know, smaller single issues and, and series that go on and are giving them a digital model that lets them keep 100 percent of proceeds and stuff.
1: So they give you a like a sell-through portal,
0: basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know a little bit of their name brand and some of their audience behind. So right. uh,
1: and bring some of your audience to them to them. Yeah, Which it's is, a great mutual. A sm- yeah. You know, and yeah, I've so Alex. It's a four-exposure known... deal where you get paid.
0: Right. It's weird. It almost sounds bizarre. Yeah. Well, I but uh,
1: Alex Finbo is a solid dude, so I uh, yes, I'm not surprised I, that he would be championing creator her own book. Yes,
0: he's doing so. I'm yeah. Space Pig Hamadeus. I think November 22nd it goes on sale at their portal. So uh, nice. Yeah, check that out.
1: Yeah. So what we're going to do here is I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to encourage all of our listeners to check out Space Pig Hamadeus Mm -hmm. uh, for a couple of different reasons. One, it is um, a really fun read. It has a pig as a main character on (laughs) Space Adventures. It's the best comic about an adventuring pig that you Fits the podcast really well. Fits the podcast (laughs) super well. Um, It uh, has an endorsement from Renegade Arts Entertainment, a company that I love and have worked with in the past. Um... Donovan, I think, will be a, I hope, will be a regular guest on our podcast. He has some strong opinions about uh, fan art and some other things that we're going to rope him in for later. Uh, This has been Super Pulp Science, and uh, this is Gregory Kamichuk encouraging you to join the fight. Make comics.